0: a podcast series taking a deeper look into entertainment and media. Your hosts, Joseph and Michelle Whalen, a husband and wife team of pop culture fanatics, are exploring all things from music and movies to television and fandom.
1: Welcome to Insights into Entertainment. This is episode 139, a whole new show. <laughs> I'm your host, Joseph Whalen and my energized and revitalized co-host, Michelle Whalen. Hi there. How you doing today, dear?
0: I guess I'm okay.
1: <laughs> so we have been talking about making a change to the show format for quite some time now.
0: Yes, we have.
1: Uh, I wanted to wait until we got to a more momentous number. I thought 139 was kind of rather obscure, but that's fine, I guess. Uh, That's what
0: we're all about, being uh, uh, obscure. Right. That's
1: our theme, right? (laughs) Right. So when we started the podcast, it was originally meant to be a deep dive into selected entertainment, news, and pop culture information. That, being diehard fans of a number of these key areas uh, of these topics, we thought we could lend some unique perspective on. Well, over the course of 130 episodes or so, we kind of drifted away from that into more of a reporting on current news and events with a little bit of commentary mixed in. So our hope is to get back into our original purpose, starting with this episode. We'll highlight a couple of significant events in the entertainment and pop culture worlds from a more deep dive perspective and less from a reporting perspective. Uh, And in today's episode, we're going to take a look at some interesting finds from the Disney Animation Research Library Then we'll digest some of the feedback from the opening of the Galactic Star Cruiser experience in Disney World. That'll be our Star Wars segment. In case folks at home didn't know that.
0: (laughs) Just in case you were wondering.
1: It's not meant to be two Disney stories back to back. This is a dedicated Disney podcast. Right. Uh, We'll also mark the 50th anniversary of one of the most iconic film franchises in movie history. Before we take a look at our experience at NerdFest this past weekend with a little bit of video footage. Before we do that though, uh, I would invite our listening and viewing audience to subscribe to the podcast. You can find audio versions of this podcast listed as Insights into Entertainment. Video versions and audio, we're publishing both on our Insights into Things podcast now. Uh, And you can find both of those listed on Google, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon. It's important to kind of point out the reason that we do a separate audio one is there are certain news, uh, certain podcast feeds that don't do uh, hybrid video and audio, Spotify being one of those. But there's a few others. So if we did just the hybrid we couldn't get listed on Spotify, so we have to do just an audio for Gotcha, that makes sense. Spotify. We would also invite you to uh, write into us, give us your feedback, tell us what you like, what you don't like, give us your uh, conventions and shows you like us to plug. You can email us at comments at insights into things uh, We are on Twitter at uh, at what. At insights underscore things. I'm sorry. I'm looking at a monitor that's blank on one side. I'm trying to figure out why. Uh, We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash insights into things podcast. We're on Instagram at instagram.com slash insights into things. Or you can find links to all those and much more on our official website at www.insightsintothings.com. Shall we get started? Sure. So what's our first thing to talk about today? So
0: the first thing uh, actually came from The Nerdist. And this was actually an article that was from a couple of years ago, but it was interesting enough to to talk about because it's um, an area of Disney that not a lot of people know about. And it's something that's actually not open to the public, but for this event that they had they actually allowed um, some reporters in. So that was kind of how the story came to be. Um, So recently, again, well, it wasn't recently. It was back in 2017. The Disney Animation Research Library, known as the ARL, opened its doors for a group of reporters. They were going to be viewing some original art from Pinocchio during the visit. Um, It was the special 80th anniversary of Pinocchio. They were going to be re-releasing it onto Blu-ray at the time. And so that was why they had this event. So the Disney Animation Research Library is housed in a nondescript building in the vicinity of Disney's law near Disney's Los Angeles studios. Uh, So inside its doors, it's temperature controlled vaults um, and it's basically a treasure trove of animation history. Um, So there are things from sketches, things that are on paper. Things that are even written on napkins that are in this this whole archived area. And of course, like I had said, it's not accessible to the public, but they open their doors to reporters to celebrate the home release of Pinocchio. Um so as the tour was going on, uh, in the article there, you know, you, you see all these different departments and all these different areas, um, and they had laid out a whole area of different artwork from just Pinocchio. And what was interesting was, you know, this was original stuff. This was from, like, 1940, 80-year-old, you know, pieces of paper. Um, and what's, you know, because... <coughs> excuse me, because of the sensitivity of it, you have to wear, it. it, they don't even want you touching it, but anybody that's handling it, it's just like any other archivist uh, artifacts, wearing the white gloves and, and being very careful with it. And what was interesting was to see certain, um scenes that weren't in the movie that uh there was a whole musical number that they had wanted to do but because of timing they didn't add it to the movie but they have all this original artwork for it you know that they've still you know held on to so um you know during the tour they were talking about um what the purpose um you know, was and the processes that they go through. Um, And it's, you know, obviously, the the research library, it's mostly about preservation. Their collection includes 65 million pieces in 11 different vaults. So that's from drawings, concept art, cells, backgrounds, uh, maquettes, um, and even puppets uh, from like The Nightmare Before Christmas are included. Um, they have things going all the way back to Oswald, The Lucky Rabbit. And obviously, even, you know, the, the current movies as well. There's stuff there. So um, what's interesting is, you know, back in the day, most studios threw out items once a movie was completed, but thankfully not Walt Disney. He saved a lot of his work so that the artists, and what's interesting is they, they actually started calling it the morgue, um, where all these past projects were. Uh, but the idea was that his artists would be able, if they needed to, inspiration or they needed to see something, they basically had their own research library to go back and look through. Now, one of the things that most Disney fans know is that back in the day, Walt actually used to give away certain pieces of art if you went to Disneyland. If you know, Walt happened to be there on a day when you were visiting and you were walking through the park, you might actually get an original cell. From a movie, so it's kind of funny how certain things were kind of given away.
1: So is this something where uh, are they're? Are they just responsible for preserving what they have or do they try to reclaim some of these things that got out into the public domain? Well,
0: in the the article, it doesn't they don't mention anything about that. And there's actually a a video uh, that they had done a live stream of a tour of it. So they don't talk about doing uh, trying to get anything back. But a lot of what they do is they do they are trying to digitalize a lot of it. But also what they're doing, too, is in most cases in the uh, preservation of it, they're not trying to fix anything. So if there's any sort of mistake on something, they're keeping that original mistake in it. Um, they did say if it was something where it was going to be a, a re-release of something, they might go in if there was like a coffee stain or a cigarette stain or or something That would be the only thing that they would really kind of clean up. But everything else, they wanted to leave it as is.
1: So now you had mentioned that they don't... The public obviously doesn't have general access to this. Do they pull these items out to take them on tour at any point?
0: Yes, and that's one of the things that they, they talked about is that they do from time to time for special events or things, you know, things will kind of be on loan that'll go out. So I was thinking when we went... Um to the one anniversary event now granted that wasn't. So this is all animation stuff. So this isn't even the the live action movie, but we know that they have their own area for all of that stuff as well because the different shows that have come out, on Disney Plus, talk about it, and and that's where you find, uh, you know, the different collectors who have this and that, and where when we went to Faniversary, they had um, Mary Poppins hat, and that was something nobody could touch it. It was only handled by one person, and he was wearing the white gloves, you know. So that's something that's in a different vault. So,
1: so to that end. <clears throat> I have to assume that when this material was originally created in the 30s, 40s, and mm-hmm. 50s, yeah. it was never intended to be created with the the idea of preserving it. Right. So do they take are, – are there is there a scientific process they go through that they treat these things differently? Like how do they preserve that stuff that wasn't intended to be preserved?
0: Well, and, and that's the thing is, you know, I, I guess the idea – you have to figure going back – you know, so many years, he, you know, Walt was really the first person to say, Hey, let's hold on to some of this stuff. This might, you know, be useful for us. So I'm, um, sh- you know, you figure he, it was probably preserved, you know, in some way, but nothing like, what they would have now, and I'm guessing, you know, they never thought, oh, we're gonna digitize this, or we're gonna, you know. So is that
1: one of the t- techniques that they use? Are they actually taking the material they have now and digitizing yes, it for public that's what, consumption? Right,
0: and that's what they're doing with a lot of stuff, just so that they can have it, just as a, you know, a backup right, to right. something, because obviously, paper can only last you know, so long. And and the idea is obviously they, they try not to touch certain things over and over and over again. So a lot of the stuff stays in the vault, you know, unless it needs to come out or uh, a certain artist can request, uh, t- you know, to see certain things, so you did, know. So it's, did, it's basically a, an insider's did
1: library. They have, did they talk anything about the process of, uh, like for instance, they're going through and creating live-action uh, versions of a lot mm-hmm. of the animated films. Right. So did they happen to talk anything about how the artists are actually going back and accessing this information? No, to they didn't. The new stuff? They
0: didn't mention that. And and I'm sure that that's probably something that that they are doing to be able to go back and and maybe even find scenes again. You know, they they talk about in Pinocchio the one scene. <clears throat> excuse me, that they they were showing that they were uh, you know, that they had laid out was something that pretty much nobody in the public had ever seen before. So I'm sure with some of these other animated movies there's probably some inspiration that you know, the, these movie makers are are getting from looking at some of the original art, but th- it doesn't talk about that in in this article. So
1: I'm gonna I'm gonna run <coughs> the the slideshow we have of the art itself, sure. so that we can actually take a look at some of it.
0: Yeah. So here's some of the original art. Um, this was this was interesting. They mentioned um, that in the the area they have a um. This was a, a desk from one of the uh, Disney artists who had... So they preserved passed...
1: his entire work. Area. Right. That's he had, incredible. Yeah.
0: Unfortunately, he had passed away. And after he had passed away, they had moved his desk to this area. In this lobby area, there's a piano. And there's a little sign saying that the Sherman brothers and Alan oh, Menken wow, yeah. had played on this piano. So it wasn't just... You know, a piano—it it it actually meant something. So here's a vault with all of the, you know, rows and rows, some of the original maquettes of Pinocchio and Jiminy Cricket. You know, it's like that's priceless when you when you you know think of of how
1: much. So obviously, they did this because of the pinocchio event Mm -hmm, right have they opened this up in the past before are they planning on doing it again
0: in this article it doesn't mention anything about it 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 sounded like it was kind of a once in a lifetime thing but again it's been you know it's been a number of years since this article came out and it, you know, being members, of, you know, ha- having a, a Disney Plus subscription, there's a lot of these different collectible shows that have come up and and um, documentary type shows about the parks and about uh, the movies and about certain animations. So I have a feeling it's one of those things where, you know, maybe every now and then they'll kind of you know let a little bit out kind of like with you know Skywalker sure. um yeah. you know w- with that with Lucasfilm you know they don't do tours but every now and then something comes yeah. up where they you know speaking open it of, up
1: speaking of tours so they they they're going through the process of digitizing all this stuff right have they made any kind of digital tour available or anything like that online available
0: well the only thing that was available well at the end of the article there is a youtube video and what was interesting was it was actually when the the tour was was being filmed it was actually live streamed so disney parks was um was live streaming this and and basically i don't know if he was the head or he's like the top curator he was the one that was giving the tour and kind of like hey and this this is you know this department and this is this department um and people could actually type their questions and he was answering live questions as it was going on so it's kind of interesting so they haven't done anything since then but to be able, you know, you can go in and watch the video now and and uh, learn about the, the area. And they talk about how, you know, we're not open to the public, so this is a, a very rare opportunity to be able to enjoy.
1: So I assume it's more of an archival type mm-hmm. of facility rather than a museum type Yes, facility. Yes.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's really uh, uh, their their own research library, which, you know... And you
1: said this is just the animation portion.
0: This is just the animation. This is how
1: much so, resources they've got dedicated. Yeah, so that.
0: 65 million pieces of artwork. And like I said, I had always heard, you know, that Walt would hand out cells. So could you imagine all the stuff that he gave away and you figure they probably didn't save everything from the movie they probably you know saved a good portion of it and you know so how much would it have been if they had saved everything and and even when you look at um so i don't know was it 2 years ago i guess maybe there was the it was a a documentary that they did on Disney Plus and it was um for Frozen 2 and the whole process that they had, and again, you know, nowadays the 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 modern movies are ninety percent digital, but there's a lot of stuff that gets printed out or, or whatever, and you see them going through like their dailies, and they have you know this pile of 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 scenes, and oh, we're we're scrapping this, and they just throw it out. And now. that's the thing,
1: like even. Even scripts, mm-hmm. you know, you, you oh, may yeah. get through multiple revisions of scripts before you get to your final script. And those edits are happening, you know, on the fly during shooting. Right. 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 So, so even like a, a, a sheet that's thrown away from that, mm-hmm. you know, would, would certainly be yeah. worth a find.
0: Right. So just seeing in, in that, you know, a stack of paper just. Pew! Yeah. yeah. Like, Wow.
1: Yeah. Cool. So yeah, it was yeah, it was cool. like
0: I said, it was an older article, but it was again something that most people don't know about, and kind of a, an interesting peek behind the curtain, really.
1: Very cool. But well, we'll come back and we're going to talk about uh, a Star Wars story again, uh, part of which was sourced from the Nerdist. So good resource this week for mm-hmm. us. Yeah. So the Halcyon has finally launched to much fanfare. We've talked about the rumors, we've talked about the accommodations, and the activities, and most importantly, we've talked about the price. (laughs) Now people are reporting back their first actual experiences on board the fake Star Cruiser to (laughs) nowhere, and the reviews are interesting, Mm. we'll say. Uh, so it's important to note that the first few reviews are primarily from journalists who did not pay an exorbitant fee for the passage mm-hmm. on right. this ridiculously expensive cruise. So we kind of have to take these reports with a bit of a grain of salt. Uh, I also have to imagine that the person providing this information was actually required to fork over the $4,000 For the experience, it might have a different tone to it. So they tend to be a little upbeat, but with the caveat of, hey, I didn't pay for this. So mm. If I didn't have to pay for it, I'd probably like it a lot more, too. So one of the first reviews that we digested was from noted pop culture journalist Amy Ratcliffe. And she notes quite appropriately... That as a single individual on the cruise, it was impossible to experience uh, everything the Star Cruiser had to offer. And that was one of the probably more disturbing things here is that they take the same theme with the Star Cruiser that they do with everything else that, oh, well, there's too much to experience here. And uh, you'll just experience the rest the next time you come back. Mm-hmm. And it's like, um, we're not coming back again. Like, like, we mortgaged the house to get here. <laughs> So, you need to give me everything at one shot because there's just not enough, there's no way we're going to be able to get back to this.
0: Right, right.
1: Um, The first not-so-insignificant feature uh, that you get is free valley parking, which... You know, in light of Disney's more recent nickel and diming tactic of charging resort guests for parking, this is kind of a pleasant surprise, but for $4,000, you really are paying for your valley parking, aren't you?
0: Right, exactly.
1: So let's not let's not read too much into that. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, you also get a themed magic band at check-in, mm-hmm. which is one of their big selling points here. Uh, and again, I can't consider it free since obviously that cost is incorporated into the price. Mm-hmm not that i'm saying take these things away and lower the price because they won't but
0: but what was interesting was um i saw i happened to see so i have a, a disney facebook friend who just went on it so he paid for it he wasn't part of right. the the freebie um and in their little pop up uh they actually you could actually buy a a magic band that actually was a little bit more decorative okay but it was after your trip had already finished uh, which i thought was kind of funny right, right right you would think oh well here's the free one you the free one you get can i bling it up no you have to wait till after you've right. gotten back so i thought that was that's, kind of that's
1: how you had the bragging rights.
0: right exactly look what i got yeah
1: the one thing there were so there were two articles i dug through on this and the one thing that, that came out of both of these that was significant is you need to make sure you have your data pad Mm -hmm. essentially your phone right because so much of what you do is tied to the app with your itinerary and your interactions and translations and scanning and all this stuff the problem you run into is is your phone going to last the entire time
0: right and that was one of the things i had read also was make sure you pack multiple battery backups and i'm kind of surprised that they didn't come up with something for you to use that wasn't your phone. Right. Like some sort of...
1: Right, like here, here's a loaner tablet, iPad, or, tablet or something Right, like that. something
0: like that so that this way, almost so that you couldn't access the outside world. Right. Like in a way, like that.
1: Right, to kind of isolate you to that and keep right, you in the Right, to keep experience. you in
0: the experience. Like here's something... And that it would link up to other people that you were on the cruise with. Right. So that you could kind of mix and mingle, you know, with, with others if you were going to do any of the the adventures.
1: Sure. So there is a kind of a, they talk about a pre-show that you have when you check in. So you get valet park, you wind up going into, I guess, a spaceport type thing. Mm-hmm. And you get uh, kind of your pre-show video to, to get you into the mood. And from then on, you're on the ship. You're immersed. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know if I need that that kind of – because usually when Disney does their pre-shows, it's, it's basically to make it more palatable, stand in line. So it almost makes me think, okay, all right, we're, they're bringing them in in twos and threes. We're bringing all these people in. Am I literally just standing here watching this pre-show so I can get into the next room because there's people in there right now? Mm. So it, it kind of makes me think that it's really just Disney's way of throttling the, the the passage into the building itself.
0: Okay, I could see that.
1: But this is supposed to kick off your story, so right. we'll give them a little bit of credit for that. Mm-hmm. I hope it's just not your typical you know snooze fest to keep your hands and arms inside the vehicle at all times. Right. Right. Um. So the rooms, okay, so it's worthwhile talking about the rooms. So the, the journalists themselves did not get to stay in the, in the stateroom suites. They got to stay in the standard rooms, mm-hmm. which, as a non-one percenter, we probably wouldn't be in the staterooms either.
0: Right, right.
1: So they talk about the fact that you get, uh, the rooms can sleep up to five. They say it will probably be cramped with five in their luggage. Mm-hmm. But you make the point of how much luggage are you really bring for a two-night stay.
0: Right, because my whole point is, if we were going down and we were staying, we would probably leave all the luggage that we didn't need right. in the car. Now, granted, if you were flying down, that would be a, a little bit different. Uh, you know, I don't know if they have some place where you can leave your extra luggage. But the other thing too is, how much time are you spending? In your room, you should really only be sleeping and getting ready for the, well, you know. Well, you would
1: think, but apparently the, the room itself is part of the story itself. Right, because, because there's a you, terminal that you have there, and the terminal right. guides you where you have to go, and you, right. you get communications. True, true. But the room itself, the standard rooms come with a queen bed, two bunk beds, and then there's a pull-down. Mm-hmm. Similar to what we ran into when we stayed at the Contemporary when we were down there. Just a little extra space for mm-hmm. one of the kids.
0: Right, right
1: um you get a tv that's themed that's basically just looks like a star wars style screen but it's basically a regular tv
0: right i think disney plus is included right, with it because right. the one person i saw was like oh look cars three yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh you know exists in star wars or something it was <laughs> kind of oh, okay uh
1: there's no room service so that was kind of uh That
0: is weird because even on a cruise, on a cruise you, can get, you can still get...
1: Yeah. So not sure why. I think maybe they were trying to keep people from spending too much time in their rooms with it. Maybe.
0: I could see that. Um,
1: especially because the venues for getting your food are large. They, a lot of the story revolves around them. Right. The cantina and the restaurant. So they don't want people... Sitting in their rooms, I guess, because you're not going right. I
0: wonder it. if it was something where you know, at eleven o'clock at night, if you wanted something to eat, could you still I, well, get a, a snack?
1: Got, they've got snacks that okay. you can go and get at one okay. of the one of the areas. That do have snacks? We'll okay. talk about that later in the article. Okay. Um, you don't get windows, so once you walk into the building, the only place you can see the outside world is either on your excursion to Batu, or they have an environment simulator.
0: Yes, I did I and that was and it was funny cuz my friend who was just there I saw that I went yeah. Oh, okay.
1: An environment simulator. <laughs> A so room if- with no roof.
0: <laughs> so another no, it had it was like glass oh, from well, the it? pictures. Okay. It, okay. it looked like you know, you know the area, and then it had the glass, and you're like, oh, but that's not real, even though it was real, right? You know, I'm thinking, oh, you have this, but you couldn't do a pool.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, whatever. <laughs>
1: well, the thing that I thought was neat that they noted about it is you don't get windows, but you get. Yes. A virtual window.
0: Yes, so you can see the stars right. outside. And what's yes. neat
1: is the all the room windows are synced. Mm. So if the ship goes into hyperspace, they all wind up they going all, into hyperspace okay, so everybody's, and stuff like that. So
0: it's not like this room sees this and this right, room sees it. They right. all say, okay, that's all right. The
1: one complaint that they had was at night when you're trying to sleep, it's very bright. Mm. So you can put your shields up.
0: Uh, <laughs> so it either
1: turns it off or dims it down so you can okay. actually sleep. So all I thought right. that was interesting.
0: Interesting, interesting.
1: Um. And there's, like I said, there's an interface in the room for uh, continuing your quest. Right. On the sh- with the ship's logistics droid is who you're interacting with.
0: Okay. Right? right.
1: So the first dining area they talk about is the Crown of Corellia dining room.
0: mm mm-hmm.
1: This is where all the meals are taken. This is where one of the entertainment venues is. Right. Um, from both articles, they said the food was extremely good. mm mm-hmm. Which you would expect. I mean, you're looking at it being... Um, an upscale
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> rest right restaurant on any of the other resorts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, I can never knock Disney for their quality of food.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <clears throat> Breakfast and lunch are served buffet style. Mm-hmm. You can get your blue milk or green milk, just like you can at uh, Galaxy's Edge. Yep. Uh, dinner is full service, but it is served family style. Okay, interesting. So that was kind of an interesting little take. Light snacks are available in the atrium. Oh, okay. But they say, you know, it's it's nothing to, to be impressed with.
0: Okay, okay.
1: So it's probably the same stuff that you would get at like a fast serve or mm, something like that. Okay. Uh, they do have grab-and-go breakfast, light snacks um, at the Sublight Lounge. Uh, they said the food's probably higher end uh, with the Star Wars team names, but... It's down to earth stuff. Like we saw, you know, we'll show you a slideshow of some of the the pictures, and one of the meals happens to be shrimp. It's just blue, right? So it's you know, it's it's nothing crazy. It's very much like what they did. At uh, Galaxy's, Galaxy's Edge, Edge where mm-hmm. the food is just creatively arranged and decorated to look exotic.
0: Right. The one thing that my my friend had posted was a picture. Um, it looked like a green globby thing or whatever, and it was actually peanut. Well, it wasn't peanut butter. It was sunflower seed and jelly. Okay. So a PB and J. He said it was the most delicious peanut butter and jelly sandwich he had ever had in his entire life you know so but it just had this weird you know it almost it didn't look moldy it just looked like this green alien sure. thing yeah. so you know so it's amazing that they're doing all this like artistry really right right to you know and and again like you were saying you know for the food um you know they they'll write what it is You know, and it's just a normal chicken, whatever. But they just put so much,
1: right? And sometimes mac and cheese just looks like mac and cheese,
0: right? But not Star (laughs) Wars mac and cheese. It's you know, so yeah, just the artistry,
1: right? And again, it's very much like what they did at Galaxy's Edge. So it helps to keep you in that environment. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So no Star Wars experience is complete without a cantina scene, and that is what the Sublight Lounge is. Mm -hmm. Uh, They say it's a great place to meet up with friends at the end of the day. Take in a few of the odd and perhaps unsavory characters. Uh, the drinks uh, are mixed at the bar, mm-hmm. so they're not pre-made like they are. Apparently, if you go into to Ugas at Galaxy's Edge, they're all pre-mixed drinks oh, that are in
0: there. Oh, okay, okay.
1: These are made right there, so you can have them custom-made to, okay. to your liking, which is nice. Hmm. Uh, again, you, know, the, you can get the food that's there, but the one big thing is... This is where you play cards. Mm. So one of the big events that you can do is learn how to play sabak. They have sabak tournaments, so you can play in those. Apparently from everything that I've read so far, the kids love playing this more than the adults do. Huh. So, okay. But it wasn't intended for the kids.
0: Right, it was intended for the adults.
1: So, you know, be careful if you go. You don't want your kid turning into a compulsive gambler when you when you get out of there <laughs> playing cards.
0: I did also see that there was some sort of bingo that they played as as well there was one that's
1: an event that's just for the kids right so it was like
0: you know just like on every other cruise there's there's bingo
1: right
0: (laughs) so it was kind of interesting to see you know the star wars version of it so So
1: disney builds this as an immersive experience Mm -hmm. so my i had two big questions one how immersive is it and two is it worth the cost we'll get to the cost Mm -hmm. but how immersive is it so they say that once you board the Star Cruiser, you're in your favorite galaxy far, far away. At least that's how the staff treats you. And we sort of encountered this in Galaxy's Edge too, where they don't have references to the rest of the parks, they don't have references to the real mm-hmm. world stuff. Um but it kind of fell apart a little bit in Galaxy's Edge. Right. This is their chance to redeem that and try mm-hmm. to pull it all back together again. Right, right. Um so if you come in from Earth, they treat you like you're an alien. You know, it's they recommend that you come in with an in-universe backstory mm. and immerse yourself in that backstory as far as, you know, you can dress up, you can come in from, uh, I'm from Alderaan. Mm-hmm. Well, you really can't be at this point in time because it's just rocks now. Yeah, yeah. but pick My a- family's
0: originally from Alderaan. Well,
1: there you go. <laughs> See?
0: But we so, moved to
1: Tatooine. <laughs> but they encourage you that, and they try to they try to stoke that as you go okay, through. Okay. Okay. Uh, you'll get some unobtrusive history lessons while you're there from the cast members. A uh, lot of a lot of it's just uh, talked about as being ad hoc, where uh, you'll run into a staff, uh, a cast member who's doing something, and and they'll give you a, a history lesson of something mm. on the ship. Mm-hmm. Um. They faithfully remain in character. At least they did on this this press tour. So, okay. again, it's one of those. I don't know how they're going to deal with real world stuff. The people in the press were kind of given instructions on on what they can and can't do and type stuff. But okay, as soon as you open that up to the the regular public, you're going to get all kinds of strange well, interactions.
0: And, and I guess you have to kind of, if you're paying for this. No, you know, and obviously we'll get more in, into the cost, but I would think you'd want, you know, you're you're spending all that money you to would, do this.
1: But there are circumstances that that occur that they even mentioned in the articles that will get to that okay. may pull you or certainly me out of character.
0: Mm, okay.
1: So they talk about the fact that the story flows through your phone, so mm-hmm. you got to make sure you have that with you all the time. Make sure you bring extra batteries. Um, you can interact with some of the face characters through the app, but they're canned responses. It's not like they're typing text back to you or anything like that. Okay. And then when you interact with them in person, they're not going to realize.
0: That you just message right. them or anything.
1: So it's sort of like playing a role-playing game where they know okay. what the script is, but they don't know where in the script you are. Mm. So you may know things or have done things, and they're not aware of it yet. So when you interact with them, it's kind of disjointed is how it's been described.
0: Okay. I could see that.
1: They also say the app is very software-driven, so there's lots of bugs in it. So mm. they're still working a lot of well, bugs Well, you
0: figure out. it's only been a couple of weeks. so.
1: The, a couple of biggest problems are you get repeated messages, the same messages over and over, and you get messages out of sequence, mm. which from a story standpoint, that could be <clears> jarring <throat> to okay. understand. You know, you got a message... That you shouldn't have gotten for three messages in and, and, you know. Okay. Spoilers, confusion, and so forth. Okay. The itinerary, uh, the immersion is very itinerary driven, uh, but they say itinerary changes based on the missions you pick up. So when you get there, there's a couple of missions you just get by default. Okay. But there's a whole ton of side missions that you can do depending on who you interact with and what you scan and, and all that stuff. So. The v- advantage that they say here is that, well, the next time you come back, you can have a completely different experience. For four grand, I'd expect a completely different experience <laughs> when I come back. I, you know, I mean, you're not giving me something that's that's a selling point.
0: Right. They they really should be marketing this as this is a once-in-a-lifetime thing. You might never come right. back.
1: Right. Right. Um, from all accounts, it seems like some of the story is kind of forced down your throat, mm-hmm. and we'll talk about that later when you get to to Galaxy's Edge and how the missions continue there. And mm-hmm. you might not even be aware of it. None of the things that you do impact the outcome of the voyage or your trip or anything. So you make all these choices, you feel like you're involved, and the same thing happens at the end of the day, no matter what. Okay. So to me, when it comes to an MMO online game and I'm playing through that story and my choices don't matter. It's very frustrating for me. Okay, I could see why that. why did I make these choices right, in the first place? Right. Um so the one they they one thing they do tell you is that the crew is trying to accommodate so many guests at once. So each of those guests are at a different stage in their story. So you may go to a cast member to try to interact with them to advance a quest. And they may be interacting with someone else who's earlier in that quest, further in that quest, on a different quest, and you have to wait your turn to interact with them. Mm. They say, sit there and listen, because what they tell them might be relevant to what you say. Okay. But this is where I could see people getting frustrated quickly, because you're trying to run, you're trying to do everything at once. Mm. And if I have to sit here and wait for five people to talk to this guy before I can get to him...
0: I could have gone and done something exactly. else. Exactly. Yeah.
1: I got two days here, mm-hmm. and I'm wasting my time trying to talk right. to someone to advance. This is where I would get frustrated and come out of character at that mm. point in time. So right. Okay. That's what I'm saying. There's situations where even a diehard like me who can go in there and be in character will get frustrated, mm. and you kind of have to have patience with these things. Right. They, right. they kind of target that towards the kids more than the adults, but... The adults are the ones that are paying for this. So the adults are the ones True. that are going to want to be well, satisfied. And
0: I, and I guess it, it really also depends on your level of fandom, too. Absolutely. Are you
1: just doing you know, this to just... you're not fan, you're not going to this, I don't think. Right, who's going to spend $4,000? Your daughter. She hates Harry Potter. She would never spend $4,000 to go to Universal Studios and go to Harry Potter. She just wouldn't. Right. No matter how cool it is. Right. So you got to be a fan at at some level to do this,
0: right? But again, you know, going back to my friend who was just there, people asked, "Oh, did you do a lot of the quests?" No, not really. He was really going just Just to kind of, yeah, yeah. like for you know, and he doesn't have. Well,
1: and that's what I would do. I would go for the immersion and a nice leisurely walk through one or two of the stories, and that's it. Right, right. I don't want to go there, and it be a job to have to do everything. It right, wants. that's right. not what I want. And
0: I'm sure for the kids, it's more so. You know, I got to do this quest, and I, you know, I want to do all the quests. Where the parents are probably, so what drink are we trying today right. in the lounge? Absolutely.
1: <laughs> so how about a rent a shuttle? Okay. So yeah. everyone's heard there's an excursion to Bat Two, right. which is Galaxy's Edge at Hollywood Studios. Right. This is accomplished. Via a box truck. Yep. No, really. Yeah. It's a box truck. Yep.
0: But it looks really cool on the inside. (laughs) You
1: never see the exterior, so you don't know you're in a box truck. Right. But they decorate up the inside, and that's how they transport you the short distance over to the thing. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. Mm hmm So you do get uh, lightning lane access to the Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run and Rise of the Resistance, which, again, very generous for Disney to do that. (laughs) <laughs> However, part of your mission on the ship are tied to these rides. Mm, okay. It was unclear how obvious they made that aware to the people. Okay. Because just by going on the, on the rides, you accomplish, the, you complete those missions. Okay. One happens to be stealing coaxium or smuggling coaxium for someone or something like that. But you don't need to know that. Because they try to integrate it into the story ride itself. Mm. But the story ride itself is the same story ride as when it launched, which had nothing to do with the Halcyon. Right, right. So it's kind of quirky how they kind of mm, tie okay. that in. They also say that you can stop by Uga's, but you don't get a reservation automatically. It's not included, and they do tell you to let someone from the cruise know that you're there. Because I don't, and it was unclear why. It's almost like they try to keep you on a very strict regiment while you're there and Oga's and is not included in that?
0: Well I'm guessing because you're only there for so long a period of time and they probably don't want you wandering off to other areas of the park right. because you have to get back to your shuttle to get back to the ship by a certain time. Right. So right. I'm guessing maybe that's you know, because I'm I'm guessing probably most people go go on their two rides, maybe walk around a little bit, and then head back to the ship because there's other things.
1: Right, because you're paying to be on the ship. You're not paying to be at Galaxy's Edge.
0: Right, right.
1: Um, but you, the last last shuttle back to the ship is 4 o'clock. So mm. they take you in shifts there, mm-hmm. and then you can come back as you need to. Right. So you're one of the earlier ones there. You literally can spend the whole day there if you right, want to. Right, right. Whether or not you do or not it's right. up to you. So how about the activities? Every cruise isn't complete without activities. Mm-hmm. So there's a few activities that show up on your schedule automatically. Uh, these you don't have much control over. It's like orientation, bridge orientation, mm-hmm. lightsaber training, stuff like that. I'm not sure I like them just sticking stuff on my itinerary and making me do them. At, that's fine, you know. Uh, some of the activities um, were kind of lackluster. Mm. They talked about the bridge training where they sit you down and you do something at a console itself. They said it was very similar to to flying the Falcon. You had one thing, push this button over and over, or lift this lever, or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So you weren't really doing anything, nor did it have any real effect on the ship itself. So it was a very isolated experience. Okay. Other things that they talk about don't show up on your itinerary, and that's through interactions with different people around the ship, different cast members and stuff like that. So they said there was a lot of opportunities to interact with other people and get story that way and mm-hmm. so forth. So as much as Disney tries to tie you down to the itinerary, you don't have to follow that if you don't want to, if you really want to immerse yourself. Mm-hmm. And then there's the story. So it's a very specific very static story that they do. Everyone experiences the same story. Um, it's set it's sandwiched between Last Jedi and, and Rise of Skywalker. So it's Disney Star Wars. It's not my Star Wars. Right. Which is the biggest drawback of Galaxy's Edge entirely. Mm-hmm. Uh they said the story arcs resemble what Disney had originally intended for Galaxy's Edge, but it never they never really fully realized it because it was there was too many people right you could not cater that kind of personalized story to everyone okay the the star cruiser is really their second chance to do that and and by all accounts they're doing a much better job of it here but it's costing you
0: Mm -hmm. right
1: there were they couldn't be more complimentary for the performers whether it's the cast members you interact with the actual performers at the dinner show they said they were fantastic. It, that alone was worth going just, just because mm-hmm. of the professionalism of their. Okay. Um, the one complaint that they had from a story standpoint is for being a Star Wars galaxy far, far away, apparently there's an overall lack of two things you'd expect in that universe. Droids and aliens. Hmm. So they, there was like one astromech droid that was going around the ship, and that was okay. it couple of people that were done up as aliens not very many at all but they were lead characters so you didn't okay you weren't bumping into people in the hallway and mm. stuff like that so they said that kind of killed the effect of it being in, a, okay. in an alien world okay um and of course no disney experience is complete without a gift shop mm-hmm. right yep so there's two chances that disney can wring a little bit more money out of yep. you in this. One. <laughs> so you have the chandrilla collection which is a small shop on board that's targeted more for um, buying things to fit in.
0: Yes, they clothing were clothing
1: and, and, and stuff like And some that.
0: collectibles because again, my friend had posted the the photo so again,
1: non-branded collectibles.
0: non-branded collectible like there was some glassware right. um, jewelry, yep. clothing, thing you know things that you would expect at a high-end boutique right. That was what.
1: Now you can buy the more tchotchke style stuff on your excursion to, but two, but two, there's a pop up shop that's mm-hmm. in the little kiosk area that you uh, board the shuttle and get off the shuttle, the right, the, the rent, the U-Haul, um, and you could buy Star Cruiser specific stuff there and some of the bragging right stuff there, mm-hmm. but they don't they don't overwhelm you, which is what really right. kind of blew me away, right. And then finally, we come down to the price. So, is the $4,809 for the standard room worth it? One person who attended on a complimentary pass doesn't think so. And they were there for free, Mm, mind you. Right, right. Uh, After seeing what I've seen and reading what I've read, I have to agree. Disney's non-existent cruise to nowhere at an astronomical price is a big ask uh, but it's also in line with what seems to be their new target audience of one percenters that Disney appears to be aiming for. So, short of hitting the lottery or getting a complimentary trip myself, uh, I'll be avoiding this particular Disney money trap. So, uh, what do you think? You think it's it's worth it as a once in a lifetime? You know, you turn fifty, we're gonna go on a that'll be our Disney cruise. I don't think that's the uh, Yeah, I the
0: I think if I had my my choice of two days doing that or going to Disneyland Paris for the same amount of money, I I would choose Disneyland Paris. Yeah. You know, I as much of knowing how much of a Star Wars family we are, I just I for half the price See, you know not only
1: can I not justify paying that money for that limited an experience, mm-hmm. I refuse to support what really is Disney slap in the face to every Star Wars fan mm-hmm. out there. Right. Because your average Star Wars fan is not going to be able to afford this. Right. And you're deliberately pricing out that entire mm-hmm. fan base.
0: Right. And I think that that's <coughs> that's the biggest thing if if you slash that price and that was even when we were still DVC members there was the option of okay how how much yeah. of points do we and and for the amount of points that we were going to have to use versus taking a 7-day cruise it was just it didn't it didn't equal it it, it it there was no comparison to to either or so i would rather spend $5000 and go to paris then just stay, <laughs> to, you know, like it would be nice if you could just do like a a, a one day walkthrough of it or, or something, you know, for, you know, two hundred dollars <laughs> for two hundred dollars. You get to, you know, spend the day on the ship. Yeah, I well, could see that, that would be interesting, you know, with maybe, you know, you get one meal, you know, I'll even say three hundred.
1: But, see, you know. and that's the thing you can get the. The environmental experience at Galaxy's Edge that you right. get here—they don't have some of the lightsaber training. Well, that's what that I was
0: stuff. saying. So to... you bring that
1: stuff out so the general public can have some right. access to that right. stuff too. Right. So I, I don't know. It's it's to me it's not worth it. Anyway, we'll be back. Uh, we're we're pushing up on the clock here, so we'll we'll do a, a quick uh, review of our next story when sure. we come back. Sure. Sure.
0: Insights into Teens, a podcast series exploring the issues and challenges of today's youth. Talking to real teens about real teen problems. Explore issues from braces to puberty, social anxiety to financial responsibility. Each week, we talk about the topics concerning today's youth. We look at how the issues affect teens, how to cope with these issues, and how parents, friends, and loved ones can help teens handle these challenges. Check out our video episodes on youtube.com backslash Things. Catch our audio versions on podcast.insightsintoteens.com or on the web at insightsintothings.com.
1: So it's been described as the gone with the wind of gangster movies. It was cutting edge when it was originally released and still to this day stands the test of time. The movie that made us an offer we couldn't refuse, The Godfather, has turned 50. Uh, it's also returning in limited uh, theaters to mark its epic anniversary, and many of the stars of the movies have shared their thoughts on its legacy. What are your thoughts on on The Godfather? When did you see it? How old were you when you saw it?
0: Oh, gosh. Hmm. Uh, well, I was probably too young when I, I first saw it, um, but then probably didn't see it again until probably high school
1: that's when um, I saw I saw it in high school
0: and because and when I was in high school that was actually when godfather 3 came out and I remember in our one english class we you know we had been talking about it so there were a couple of us that actually went to go see the third one because we were talking about the impact of the first one and and really when you think about it it, it was kind of the the start of you know, there had been gangster movies all, you know, throughout, you know, cinema, mm-hmm. Um, but really that was kind of the one that led the way for, you know, some of the, the more modern gangster movies. Like, you know, they kind of look at, at that and, and kind of go from there.
1: Well, it's funny you mention that because in a recent interview, Talia Shire described Her brother, Francis Ford Coppola, Mm -hmm. characterizing the movie as a waltz. Mm. Uh, She says the endless cycle of the family had a sense of a waltz to it. And it's hard to argue with that. It really, did have that. And I think that's really what scared the studios more than anything because it was so different than the gangster movies you had up to that point. Right. Um, Everything
0: was family, really. It was all about taking care of the family.
1: It was a huge... Mm -hmm gamble for paramount and by most accounts the movie was held a shoot for coppola they said there Mm -hmm. were reports of a running battle between uh coppola and the his bosses at paramount and even the crew at times because of creative differences Mm. uh casting decisions you know they brought uh marlon brando in who at that point in time was kind of obscure at that point in his career nobody wanted to touch him at that point right and it kind of reinvigorated his career. Yeah, yeah. Um, they said that he Coppola was in constant fear of getting sacked by Paramount during this whole thing. Hmm. Even in post-production, when he made his choice of Italian maestro Nino Rota, uh, that was questioned. Coppola bluffed by threatening to have his name removed from the movie before Paramount finally gave in to his decision. Wow! So there was this constant strife <clears> that he was <throat> running into with this movie. And in the in the interview with Talia Shire, she says, I wouldn't have had me on the set. She said the last thing he needed was his sister. At the
0: yeah, time. True. <laughs> you know,
1: I got one more tension for her.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, Thinking and about you,
1: that. If you think back to the movie where there's the scene where she and her new husband are fighting and she's pregnant in the scene, she says, It's a rough thing to see a pregnant woman being knocked around. Right. She says, I had to move from place to place. And it was honestly, I was terrified because you didn't want to do another take, because another take meant everything had to be reset. She says, I just want to keep going. Mm. Um, because it was it would have cost money to do right, the resets have and the reshoots and right, all that right. stuff. So yeah, even when it was being made, it was such a different movie. Well, even the novel itself, the novel was written in the in the 60s and and was a huge hit, which is mm-hmm. why it spawned the movie. Right, right. But it was so different than like the Cagney-style gangster movies right. that you were used to. Right. And I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that it was very reflective of, of our country mm. at that time. Yeah. You know, the the power struggles, the politics, the, you know, do whatever it is you need to do. Um, And it came out in some of the... uh some of the quotes. You know, mm-hmm. you got some of the best one line. <laughs> I I wrote a couple of these down. Yeah. You know, there's one line uh, where Michael Corleone says, Don't ask me my biz- don't, don't, don't ask me about my business, Kay. You know, even before Fight Club, which mm-hmm. you know, we don't talk about that either. Right, but, right. You know, it set the precedent on how mm-hmm. you handle things that people don't want to know the truth about. Right. You may ask about it, but don't ask me about it. Uh, you know, take the gun and leave the cannoli.
0: The cannoli.
1: <laughs> Some might say these are words lived by. For me, it's the first line out of my mouth whenever I walk into a bakery.
0: Yep, it
1: is. <laughs> um, and then you have the really personal lines, like "I know it was you, Frito, Frito. You broke my heart." Mm-hmm, yep. You know, if you're, <clears throat> you know, if you're looking for the most poetically perfect way to tell your brother you know his secret, you couldn't ask for a better line.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, revenge is a dish best served cold Mm -hmm. while it's attributed as an old Klingon proverb, (laughs) the Klingons probably got it from this movie. (laughs) And the one that I think really kind of speaks to why the movie had such an impact was very early on in the movie, Don Coulion says, I believe in America. Mm -hmm. And he does. Right. But it's his version of America. Right. You know, and in our current state of political upheaval, this line's incredibly poignant mm-hmm. and tells us that America's what you make of it. If mm-hmm. your America is gun to your head, going to take your money, if you don't do what I say, <laughs> make demands, then that's your America. Mm-hmm. That's not everybody else's America. So it's that distorted, that ability to distort things in such a way To,
0: that, to be how you want it to right, be.
1: to make yourself feel good about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And then... You know, the most famous line from the whole movie. And yes, this line is so well delivered and so perfect in the movie that it appears twice in our breakdown here. Fifty years later, people dream of a chance to use the line any chance they get. And that is, I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. And that's like, everyone knows where that line Mm -hmm. comes from. They know who said it. And it's, it's fantastic. But culturally, though, when I mean, we talk about the, the careers and the impact and, and stuff like that, it was a self-reflective look at the, the country during some of our most formative years mm-hmm. that the movie portrays. Um, and it's a shining example of how certain aspects of the population exploited their opportunities. Mm-hmm. They bent, broke, bought, and rewrote the rules of the land to their favor. And it still happens to this day whether it's happening in business or politics or crime or whatever, what Don Corleone represented in the movie is what so many people aspire to. That power, that ultimate power, that ability to manipulate things and be in control. Mm -hmm. And so many fortunes in today's businesses have been made on that. It's not biographical. It's not historical, but there are grains of truth in the film that make us question reality and kind of look at the world differently. Uh, And we've never gone back to the way it was before Godfather. That kind of opened our eyes to a reality that a lot of people didn't want to ask about, I think.
0: And I think what's also interesting is it's it's probably one of the top movies of all time. And Godfather 2 is revered also as one of the best movies that, you know, normally sequels, you know after you do the first one they kind of go downhill from that yeah but you know godfather 2 kind of stands alone you know on on its own as being a, a really great movie and it's interesting because it takes you it's a prequel to the godfather right, so you right. kind of see everything and that, that
1: concept itself was interesting at the time because right. you didn't have that sort of mm-hmm.
0: thing right
1: um where it's like okay we drew the line in the sand now let's go back and show you how we got to that line
0: right where normally you never did that you always went forward right. so it was an interesting you know take on it and it was so well received on top of the success of the original.
1: Absolutely. And I have little doubt The Godfather will still be relevant 50 years from now, too. Yep. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back and we'll get some of our afterthoughts to cover. Sure. So what do we have for our afterthoughts?
0: So going on, fortunately, if you're watching us live... (laughs) Uh, and not on, you know, after the fact. ZoloCon is going on this weekend. Um, It's going until 6 o'clock, so if you're in the area, you got until 6 today. Um, Tomorrow it'll be from 9 to 4.30. We're actually planning to to be there uh, tomorrow for it. Uh, That's in Warminster, Pennsylvania. Uh, Then in a couple of weeks after that, we have the... Delaware Train Show and the April Fool's Toy Show. Uh, That would be April 2nd and April 3rd. And that is in Newcastle, Delaware at the Nurse Shrine Center.
1: And before we go, we did attend our uh, Nerd Fest Mm -hmm. this weekend here. We're going to run some footage of that real quick and kind of describe. It was... A typical local mm-hmm. uh, pop culture event here. Right. A lot of local artists were there. I was kind of surprised at how many artists that they had. There. Yeah,
0: it was it was it was a pleasant surprise to to see how many local artists were there. Local vendors were there. Um, a nice mix. Uh, uh, of different types of of artists. You had a lot of people selling um, handmade things, which was nice to see along with uh, your, your different vendors obviously selling your pops. Not as many collectibles.
1: Yeah, a lot of it was much more handmade. Right, it was much more. Right, which was kind of cool
0: stuff. because, you know, better to have that. Obviously, we had the 501st was there. Um, then uh, the, the local Ghostbusters were there as well. Um, a couple of cosplayers, not too many of them uh, there. And and uh, some local uh, authors Uh, with their books. They had a face painter, um, you know, as well. Uh, Different clothing uh, makers uh, were there with uh, different types of t-shirts or
1: sweatshirts and things. And we had the the one artist that was there who was the taxidermist artist that we talked to. Why don't you talk a little bit about that?
0: Yeah. So that was kind of interesting. I almost came home with a bat. (laughs)
1: a real bat that a was real taxidermied
0: bat that was taxidermied in in this cute little cage so we were talking uh, to him and and you had asked him how he came to yeah, how he sourced his <laughs> he sourced his critters uh, and what was it so he had kind of had a so
1: he said he has a license he's a licensed scavenger right which i didn't even know that existed but he said most of the stuff that he gets comes from people that he works with
0: Right, they you kind know. of trade.
1: They'll, things. Right, so he'll they'll send him the, for lack of a better word, carcasses. Right, he'll taxidermy them. His was it his son or his nephew? Nephew. His, his nephew. His nephew does the actual settings and the right the, the dioramas. dioramas and stuff like right, that. right right. And he'll set the uh, the taxidermied animals in here, and he'll send some of these back to these people that that provide the right. materials for right. it. And it's really cool they did. Not only did they do the bats in the cages, they did these incredibly ornate ostrich eggs. Yes. Uh, Because the the person who runs it is a former dentist. He uses dental tools to actually go in there and carve these out. Talking about no additional material added to it. He Mm -hmm. just takes the egg, carves it out, and you had... 3-dimensional renderings of of a dragon. Dragons coming out. Yeah. I mean, it was incredible yeah. the kind of detail the guy had. Yeah. Uh first time I think we'd seen that vendor mm-hmm. and he's a local guy too, which is nice.
0: Right, right. So he actually is going to be at some of the other local uh he'll be at Monster Mania, which is coming up in a couple of yeah. months and then another one that's up in Parsippany Monster Con, I right, think it was. Right, the
1: next horror one up there. Yeah,
0: so uh, yeah. It
1: was interesting. It was <clears throat> it was a it was a Kind of a cool venue, the way they mm-hmm. laid it out. It was small, right. It wasn't very
0: big, but you had
1: a lot of vendors for such a small area, mm-hmm. but it was laid out in such a way that you didn't feel claustrophobic in there, which right was nice. Because
0: they had the one banquet room set up with the doors open, but then they had guests they had vendors throughout the the, the lobby, lobby area as the well. So. The lobby, so yeah.
1: Uh, it was it was cool. I certainly you know for the price it, it you can't beat you know five bucks to get in there yeah. and look around and stuff. So it's probably one that we'll we'll mm-hmm. end up going to again. Yeah, absolutely. So that was that was Nerd Fest mm-hmm. weekend. Yeah, and I think that was all we had before we do go though. I do want to uh, invite you to subscribe to the podcast. You can find audio versions listed as insights into entertainment. You can also find video and audio versions listed under insights into things. We're available on Pandora, Castro, Stitcher, Podbean, Buzzsprout, and so forth. I uh, would also invite you to write into us, give us your feedback, tell us how the new format of the show works. We were, were curious if, if this works better than what we were doing before. You can email us at comments at insightsintothings.com.
0: You can find us on Twitter at uh, twitter.com backslash insights into things
1: you can find us on facebook at facebook.com slash insights into things podcast
0: you can find us on instagram uh, at instagram.com backslash insights into things
1: and you can find all that and more on our official website at insights into that's it another one in the books
0: have a good week everyone bye bye